Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Let's get into the, the Word of God today. Today I'm going to continue a, a series um, that we called uh, Kingdom Identity. Kingdom Identity. And, and one of the, 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 the things that, that I have come to, to realize over the course of my, my, my life as a Christian is that the enemy will always attack at the point of your identity. He will attack your, your, your qualification. He will, he will attack your worthiness, maybe as a father, a mother, a son, or a daughter, or even in, in your family or in your career, and in anything that God would ever call you to do. And the enemy will always attack that point. Why? Because he understands that your identity is tied to your authority. Your identity is tied to your authority. See, there, there is something empowering when you know who you are. And you walk in the confidence and the fullness of, of who you are in, in, in Christ, right? There, there is something that, that when you know, when the enemy begins to tell you that you'll never be successful, that, that nothing will ever work out for you, that your marriage can't be restored, that your family can't be restored, that, that your, your life or your health can't be restored. But when you understand who you are in Christ and you understand who Christ has called you to be in, you walk in the fullness of the, uh, that identity, there, there is something that, that, that just empowers you. It's like, you know, being a, a citizen of the United States. There's, there is a confidence in, in knowing that you are a citizen. When you understand that, that you are a citizen of the United States, that there, there are inalienable rights. And what does that mean? That those are rights that are not bestowed upon you through a government, but they are given to you by a God, by, by the all creator God. When you understand that, that who you are, that you, you, you have the, this confidence and this boldness in who you are. And it's the same thing when we talk about, uh, about the, the, the kingdom of God and our I identity. Now, one of the most revolutionary shifts that has happened within the, the church, now I'm talking about the universal church, the body of Christ, over the last 15, 20 years was the restoration of of the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. For a long time, the church had, had, had become impotent. The church had, 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 had become uh, nullified because we, we got more caught up in the concept of, of ecclesiology or, 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 or churchiness, and, and we had lost the message of the kingdom of God. In fact, this was actually prophesied by Jesus in, in Matthew 24. If you remember in Matthew 24, this is where Jesus is giving his prophetic discourse on the Mount of Olives. The disciples come and they say, Jesus, we want to know when the end times are going to happen. And that's when he goes through this prophetic discourse and he begins to say that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences, right? But he says, but this is not the end. This is just the beginning, the beginning of birth pains. But look at what he says in Matthew 24, 14. He talks about the end. He says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then what 
the end will come. So this restoration of the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God was prophesied by Jesus. So there is no doubt in my mind that we are living in the end times, right? We are living in the end times. Now, now the advent of Jesus coming into this world was never to bring religion. What it was always to bring government. And, 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 and this, is, this is where we have become nullified because we've made it about religion and not about the kingdom of God, not about the government. When, when God created the earth, he never intended to create a church, a denomination, or a religion. It was always about the extension of, of his rulership, of, of his governance, and, and his government here on the earth. In fact, in, we, we always uh, use this during... During the Advent calendar, during Christmas time, it talks about Isaiah where he prophesies unto us a, 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 son is, a child is born and a son is given. And it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. So when Jesus came to the earth, he never came to establish a church, a religion, or a denomination. It was always about the restoration of the kingdom of God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they didn't lose a religion. They didn't lose a denomination. They didn't lose a church. They lost their place and their identity in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus comes back on the scene 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, he comes not only to, to, to bring salvation, but his primary purpose is to restore the gospel of the kingdom of of God. In fact, when we look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist was the forerunner. What was his preaching? What was his, his message? Matthew chapter 3, 1 and 2, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came into the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That word near in the original language means it has arrived. And so here, John the Baptist was, was, was the precursor. He was the forerunner. He was, he was telling the people that the, the Messiah, the one that they had been come praying for and believing for, he was coming, but not to not, not to establish the, the Jewish religion. He was here to establish what? The kingdom. He was here to establish the government of God. In fact, what was Jesus' message? Matthew chapter 4, 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach the message. Do you know that Jesus had only one preaching? Could you imagine if I only had one preaching? Most of you guys wouldn't come back. You're like, I already heard it before, right? But Jesus had one message, and it says, This is the message he preached repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is has arrived. Matthew 4.23 Jesus went through all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of what? Not of Calvary, not of salvation, not of redemption, not the gospel of going to heaven, right? Because that's what religion has made it. Religion has made this all about going to heaven. The primary purpose of salvation was not to get you a VIP ticket to heaven. It was about for you to align yourself within the government and the kingdom of God. See, all religion is man-made. 
Every religion that you can think of was invented and created by man. And religion is man's attempt to restore and reconcile us to God. But how many of you know that, that, that through our efforts, we could never restore and reconcile ourselves to a righteous God? There's no way. There, there, there is no way. That's where the grace and the love of Jesus Christ comes in because it's only through the government of God, the kingdom of God, that we can be restored. And, and so Matthew 4.23, Jesus went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of disease and sicknesses among the people. And so what the enemy has done is, is he, has, he has obfuscated and he has, he has taken control control of what used, what should have been a governmental institution and he tried to make it a religious institution. What is religion? Religion is performance based. It's about how you are. It's about what you can do to reconnect yourself to God. And let me tell you that there's nothing you could ever do in your efforts to restore yourself to God. And you know what? God in his wisdom and his love and his mercy, he knew that. So that's why he had to send his son. That could be that, 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 that perfect sacrifice, the, that, that lamb without spot or blemish. And, and so what religion does, religion makes it about your effort. And the kingdom of God makes it about his effort. It's about his love. See, when, when, when you understand that and you look at Jesus' ministry, it, was, it wasn't the people that took issue with Jesus' ministry. Who had the biggest problem with Jesus' message? The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It, it, was, it was them. Why? Because religion, religion creates a culture of control and manipulation. That's why a lot of people have church hurt. Why? Because they are not in a church culture of kingdom. They are in the church culture of religion. And when, when it's performance-based, we can control you and manipulate you by what you do and how you do it. And, and, and so that's, what, that, that's the problem with the churches today is that we have a lot of churches that not, are not based on, on, on the kingdom of God, but they're based on religion. They're based on rules and, and rituals if you do this 10 times if you do this five times well you didn't do it so so now you don't have the same access as, as so and so and that ha there has no place within the kingdom of God because religion puts the onus on you to reconcile yourself to God and the kingdom of God is God's hand and his love and his mercy and his grace extending himself to you so it was the religious leaders why when 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 you understand who you are in Christ and you understand what your, your identity in him no one can control you why because a religious mindset is different than a kingdom mindset a religious mindset is different from a, a kingdom mindset. So it's important to understand that Jesus didn't come to bring religion. He came to bring government. And, and just like every other government, the kingdom of God has established processes and protocols for its citizens. In other words, what the, the governor or the ruler expects from, from its citizens. And, and a, a few weeks ago, we talked about that when we did, when we did kingdom citizenship part one. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we see that from 
from the beginning, God laid out his expectations from, for, for his citizens of his kingdom. So when, when I look at, at this concept of, of kingdom identity, I, I see that, that our identity in Christ is triune, right? It's, it's three, and, 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 and that's because God is three in one and, and one in three, right? You know, years, a few years ago, I had a I had a, an encounter with this young man that was, that was a proclaimed atheist. And, and it was around the time that the first movie, God's Not Dead, came out. And, and, um, and so if you remember at the, at the end of the movie, they said, get on Facebook and put God's Not Dead. And so all the good Christian people that went to that movie, right, they obeyed. And, and some of our young people of the church we were serving, they put God's Not Dead. Well, this young man took issue and he started bashing. He started bashing them for their faith and bashing them for the religion. And these Christian young people did what every good Christian does. He started to bash them back. <laughs> so I'm, I'm at the church office, you know, doing my thing. And all of a sudden, Sandra's blowing up my phone with text messages. Are you on Facebook? I said, no, I'm working. You need to get on Facebook. So I get on Facebook and I see all this back and forth. You're going to hell. You don't know what you're talking about. And you're a sinner and you're a loser and, and, and all this stuff. So I had to start DMing all the youth people. Because hey, when you looked at this kid's profile, he, he looked like a guy that could come and shoot up a church. And, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. That's the, his, his, his profile was so dark and macabre. It, and I'm like, please, let's not, let's not stir this pot any more than, than it already is. Right, so I started DMing them, and I said, "Stop talking, stop doing anything. Let me engage." So I began to engage him. I set up a meeting, and I said, "I want to meet with you. I want to. I want to hear you." And so we went to to Dairy Queen, and over a blizzard. You never know if anybody works at Dairy Queen at Access Church. Just throwing it out there, but maybe they'll give us royalties. So we're sitting there, and I said, I want to hear your heart. I want, to t I want you to tell me why, why you're an atheist, why you believe that there's no God and no creator. And so he began to, to share and talk, and all I heard was how he had been hurt by family, by people, by God, by religious leaders, and that's all I heard, and, and I heard him out, and then I said, okay, I heard you out, I want you, I, I, I want you to, I want you to hear me out, I want you, I want you to hear, and I began to talk about, and it was just through the unction of the Holy Spirit in that moment, and I began to say, you know what, every great designer, every great artist, they have a creative signature, and that's how when, when, when someone who studies art, and they see a Van Gogh, they know it's a Van Gogh, why? Because the technique and the style, there, there's a creative signature to it and, and, and they can ascertain well that's a you know that's a Michelangelo or a Van Gogh because of its creative signature and, and I began to tell them that, that even God has a creative signature and that the Bible tells us that God is three in one and one in three and the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and I began to tell them how we see that creative signature and that pattern. I began to tell them how there's three parts to an atom there are three parts to the cell, there are three parts to the eye, there are three parts to the hair follicle, there are three parts to, to water. Do you know that we are 70% water, right? And I began to lay out this, and, and I don't, man, all these stuff that I remember from biology that I forgot for the test and I failed, it started coming to my mind and, and, and I started to, pay, and, and I just started to, to share and then I began to get deep into his heart to speak life and healing. 
And about three weeks later, that same young man walked into the doors of our church, and he was the first to give his life to the Lord. Yeah, give the Lord some praise for that. So we, we see this, this pattern of, of life, right? Three parts to a plan. It's just all there. But I also see that within our kingdom identity that there are three parts. We are triune. The first one is that we are kings and, and priests. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Right? This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Revelation 5 and 10. Someone say, well, pastor, that's the Old Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth, right? So our first identity, our, our, our first function or role in kingdom identity is that we are kings and we are priests. What do kings do? We decree and declare. That's what kings do. When a king speaks, it is law. So when you understand that concept, now you understand why the Bible says that when you understand who you are in Christ, that whatever you bind on earth, it shall be bound in heaven. Why? Because you are a king, because you have the authority. That's why the Bible says that you can call those things that aren't as though they are. Why? Not just because you're a good church member. No, it's because you are a king. You have the ability and the authority to declare. The second thing is what do priests do? Priests, they worship, they serve, and they, they sacrifice, right? So the, the next thing that I see is that we are not only a kingdom of, of, of kings and priests, but we are a kingdom of, of sons. What I see, our identity is sonship. So all you feminists, don't get mad. You're included in that, okay? Sonship or daughtership, however you want to, however you want to say it. So the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of of subjects or servants, but we are a a kingdom of sons. Now, now, just imagine for a moment if if you could get that through your head, right? If you could, if you could just for a moment assimilate that idea that the Bible says that you are a a son or daughter of the King. I mean, I mean, just, just for a moment, right, when the enemy begins to attack you, when the enemy begins to attack your identity, he begins to attack your ability, when he begins to tell you that your needs are not going to be met, that there's not going to be any provision, do you think for a moment that the son of the king of Jordan ever for a moment thinks that he is never going to have his needs met, that he is never going to have all that he needs? This guy is so royal that he can't even walk on ground. The people have to put a red carpet on for him to walk on. Why? Because that is how they revere in reverence this, this, this royalty. And, and so just for a moment, understand that the Bible says that you are a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just for a moment, think about that. When they begin to tell you, you're never going to make it. You're never going to be anything. You're ugly and your mama dresses you funny. Uh-uh. I'm a... Well, maybe I am, but no. I'm a son or daughter of the king. And then the third role is we are citizens, right? We are citizens. What do citizens do? They, they, they administer. They, they multiply. In fact, this, this language of, of kingdom and kingdom identity is laced through, throughout all of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. In fact, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, writes this, Ephesians 2.19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens 
along with all of God's holy people, and you are members of God's family. You are citizens, right? Right? This is Paul's language. He, they, they understand they are citizens, but they are members. Now, notice he doesn't say that you are members of a church. People often ask me, Pastor, how many members do you have at your church? You know what I tell them? None. They look at me weird, right? Because for most pastors, that's a badge of honor. Right? How many members? I have 500,000 million trillion, <laughs> or like Malachi, bagillion, bazillion. Infinitos, canido, danido, right? Makes up numbers. Why? Because there's no such thing as a member in the kingdom of God. A member thinks different than a son or a daughter, right? And we're actually going to talk about that next. We're going to contrast a membership mindset with the sonship mindset, right? When we talk about identity. But, but a member thinks differently than, than a son or a daughter, right? It, 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 it's different. But there's no, we, that's why we don't have membership. Well, pastor, I want to become a member, okay? You're a member of what? The family. You're not a member of the church. You're a member of the family. But our, 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 let's focus on, on citizens. So when you are a citizen of, of a, a community, you have a familial responsibility, you have a social responsibility, and you have a civic responsibility. Every citizen has a familiar, you have responsibility to your family, you have a social responsibility, you have a responsibility to your culture and, and to your community, but then also you have a civic responsibility, you have a responsibility to your government. Are, are you following me? Is this making any kind of sense? Hopefully. Hopefully it is. If it's not, come back next week. So we are citizens. Well, we just like in in as a citizen of this nation or this country, you have a familial, you have a social and a civic responsibility. When you are part, as, when you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have a, a, a familial responsibility, a social responsibility, and you have a civic responsibility. What, what would happen if all of us just decided not to go to work? Like one day, like we just took the day off. What would happen to the fabric of our community, of our civilization? Like, who's going to give me my Chick-fil-A sandwich? Like, for real. Like, that would be crisis mode, right? <laughs> I need my Chick-fil-A sauce, right? Like, who? Like, oh, nobody's here. Sorry, we can't serve Chick-fil-A. There'd be no trucks, no gas stations, garages. There, you know, transportation, logistics, airline pilots, right? Think about it. Yeah, we all go to work to, to make a living, right? But we also, the fact that we go to work, we're supporting our community, right? We're, 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 we're providing a service. Imagine if all of our teachers go on strike tomorrow. Please don't. <laughs> we need you guys. <laughs> I've had Malachi all summer. Now you get to have him all, at least for three months, right? <laughs> pray, for, pray for his teacher, please. Um, that God would give her a lot of grace and wisdom and patience. Um, but no, imagine for a moment, right? Yeah, you, you serve as a teacher, but, and you, you do that to earn a living, but you're also apporting or contributing to, to, to you know, our, our community, right? So in the same way as a kingdom citizen, you have a responsibility to serve, right, the community. So don't just come and eat our do coffee and donuts, don't be that family member that shows up at the potluck with nothing. 
Y'all know, y'all know who you're talking about, right? Yeah. Pastor is prophetic. <laughs> right? So let's, let's recap. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. Remember, we were created to function like God. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Then he, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. There it is. So the first thing that God did, he gave us ability. He made us in his image likeness right he gave us ability the second thing he did he gave us authority right he said to govern and then he gave us an assignment that assignment is is our kingdom citizen responsibility we are to be fruitful and we are to multiply we are to be fruitful and to multiply so god gives man ability second he gives man authority and thirdly he gives man the authority or or, or an assignment right the first command is to be fruitful and multiply so this is a twofold process to be fruitful is to establish god's kingdom in us to multiply is to extend God's kingdom. So, so, but, but you have to follow this pattern. You, you, the kingdom of God, the problem with, with the people today that people have with the church is because we have a lot of people trying to extend the religion or the church, but they haven't had the kingdom of God first established in them. And that's what religion does, right? Religion makes it all about the outside. But the problem is that religion, religion creates hypocrisy because while you're pious and devout on the outside, your, your inner self, your inner, inner, inner being, who you are, is far away from what you purport to be on the outside. So we, we have to be fruitful. To be fruitful means to bear fruit in abundance, to be productive, to produce re results, Results or, or a utility. To multiply is to increase or cause to increase. Increase in number by reproduction. So we've got to understand that fruitfulness comes before multiplication, right? You have to have the ability to reproduce before you produce. So you have to understand that the kingdom of God has to be established within you. Now, I'm going to share with you a, a, a narrative, a parable, a story that, that Jesus gave to his disciples. Now, uh, and, and it's called the, the parable of the talents. Now, now, that word talent has nothing to do with grace, gifting, or ability. And a lot of preachers say, oh, you got to use your talent to sing or, or act or play the guitar for God. If we, were, if we were to coin this in modern day vernacular, we'd call it the parable of the dollar, right? Because the talent was the monetary unit or value of that day, right? And, and, and so this, this parable is in Matthew 25, just after Matthew 24. Remember, Matthew 24 was the prophetic discourse when the disciples said, Jesus, tell us about the end. When will the end come? And he begins to tell this. And so now he comes to 25, and what's he's doing? He's preparing them for the end. He's preparing them on how to act when he leaves, right? He, he's, he's laying out for them the expectations of how they are going to, to operate and function in his absence. So when, when you understand, when you understand uh, uh, this, this parable from that context, it makes more sense. So, so go with me to Matthew 25, 14 and 9 through 
14 through 29, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So who's the man going on a long trip in the story? Who? It's not a true question. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Right? So remember, he's preparing them on how to behave or how to operate or function in his absence. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Dividing it in proportion to what? See, a lot of people want to think that God of the Bible is a communist, but, but communism means everybody's poor, right? Equal, equal parts. But if you notice that he's saying that each one, and, and this is key to understand as we get into it, that he gives them each according to their ability, right? Each one according to their ability. And, and even you as a parent, how many of you know that each one of your children have different levels of ability, and you as a you parent, you, 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 you've got to understand that, right? Because if you don't, then you might give them something they're not prepared for. Like if you ask Malachi at five years old, he thinks he knows how to drive. He says, Dad, let me drive. Look. And he gets in the car and he does this. That doesn't mean you can drive, right? And I don't want him driving because I already know my son's going to be flipping everybody off in Eagle Pass. <laughs> Beep, you know, so we're not going to let him drive. But we don't let him drive. Why? Because even though in his mind he thinks he has the maturity and the ability, we, we, we know he hasn't. Well, God is the same, the same way, right? God understands that when he can't give us more than what we can handle. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that he will never give you more than you can handle. But oftentimes we only take that as a trial or as a tribulation. But that principle is transcended through the kingdom of God. God will never give you more than you have the ability to steward or to administer. So here, here's, here's a, a quick, quick lesson, a quick key. If you want more, then you have to grow more. You have to increase your ability. So he gave each one according to their ability. Now, verse 16, the servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for the, how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and the master gave me... Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. Verse 21, the master was full of praise. Well done, my, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant, verse 22, who had received the two bags of silver came forward. Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. How many of you know that Jesus is gangster, right? 
He's like, he's, he's OG. Like, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops and I didn't plant, I, I gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Man, that's hard. Right? See, see, the religious mindset doesn't understand that. They're like, but God is a loving God. How could God ever take, take away? Because we don't understand. See, the, the problem is that we often have trouble understanding biblical concepts because they are based on kingdom government. And, and the fact that we have grown up in a democratic republic, we, we don't understand the, the nuances of, of, of feudalism or, or the feudal system of government. See, when, when you're in a kingdom, the king owns everything. But here in the United States, we, 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 we have, as a citizen, right, we have the right to own our personal property, right? You, you, you can own it. It, it. it becomes yours. But when you're in a monarchy or a kingdom, the king owns everything, right? The, the, the king or the sovereign, he owns the land. So the first thing, and, and that's hard for us to understand. See, the first thing we have to understand that as kingdom citizens, we are stewards and not owners. We are stewards. How many of you know everything that you have belongs to God? We are stewards and not owners. And, and, and the reason Jesus is, is talking about this principle is, is because they understand that concept of, of feudalism. They understand that in the king. In fact, look at what King David writes, Psalm 24, verse 1. He says, the earth is the Lord's and a few things in it. Is that what it said? No, wait. The earth is the Lord's and what? The world and all its people belong to him. This, this is King, King David is writing this. He understands kingship. He understands, he, he understands kingdom government. But he also recognized, even though I'm wearing the earthly crown, I recognize that there is a higher king. There is a greater king. And, and the fact that King David, as a king, can pen this and write this, he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Do you know that in a kingdom government that the people, the subjects, even belong to the king? You're the king's property. Oh, no, I'm not. Right? And, and that is where we get the concept of lordship. See, religion only talks about you needing a savior. But kingdom talks about you making him Lord. Jesus didn't come just to save you. He came to restore you and to realign you to the submission of Jesus, not as your Savior, but as your Lord. In fact, the word Lord, Adonai in the Hebrew, it's not a religious term. It's a legal term. You know what the, the term Adonai or Lord means? It means sovereign owner right? See, that's why, that's why those of you that don't own your own home, what do you do? You pay the rent to who? What do you call them? The land lord, right? It's a legal term. It's not a religious term. When you recognize Jesus as your lord, you're in essence saying that everything that you have belongs to him. 
everything. That's, that's where this comes from. And, and, and see, as stewards and not owners, God expects us to administer his resources prudently and diligently. That means everything. Now, this, this particular parable has to do with finances, but this principle transcends finances. It's everything that God has given you. You have, a, you have the responsibility to steward. You have the responsibility to administer. You have the responsibility to multiply. Do you know that you as a father, you are not the owner of your kids. The kids belong to the king. Remember, the king owns everything. You are a steward. It is your responsibility that they walk in the fullness of God's calling and God's plan and their purpose for their life. You don't own them. They're just on loan. They're just on borrow. In fact, you're, you're, you don't own your wife. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, if you notice, it doesn't say that you have to govern over people. But pastor, it says the creepy things, and my husband's kind of creepy. That's not what it means. Do you know you as a husband, it is your responsibility to cultivate your wife. If your wife is not who you want her to be, it's nobody's fault but yours. All the women say, preach it, Beth. It's not your place to complain. It's your place to cultivate. And you as a wife, you've got you've to cultivate your husband. You've got to cultivate your children. That is your job as a steward over the resources that God has given you. Even in church leadership. Church leadership. It is my job. See, the, the problem with, with, with a lot of church leadership that, that we see today is that we have a lot of church leaders that use people to fulfill their own ambitions, their own initiative, what they want. But I have a kingdom mindset and I understand that it's my, my job to use you. It's my job for me to cultivate you and help you become who God has called and created you to be. And, and the principle is this. When you steward God's resources and you steward them diligently, then God will bring you more. Somebody asked me, say, Pastor, why do so many leaders are leaving their church and coming to you? So well, maybe because I'm helping them become who God has called them to be. I recognize that there's a responsibility in that. It's not for me to use you to get me where I want to be. It's for me to help you become who God has called and created you to be. And you know what happens? The more I do that, the more leadership God's going to bring. And that's where a lot of pastors, they, they, they just don't get it. They don't understand that your people aren't, aren't, aren't your pawns. They're not there for you to exploit them. But that's the principle of the kingdom. When you administer what God gives you in finances, in, in people, in your family, in your home, when you use that for God's glory and you begin to administer and multiply that, what does the Bible say? Then you will have in abundance. So the first thing is that we were stewards, not orders. The last thing, number two, we can only give what he first gave to us. Since, since he is the sovereign owner of everything, we can only give to God what he has first given to us. Do you realize that you really don't give God anything? Like, Pastor, I give my tithes. No, you don't. You return to God what actually belongs to him. 
But if he owns it, he asks for 100%, but no, it's mine. No, it's not yours. If you're really submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, anything he asks for, you say, God, it's yours. That's why when God told me to give away my, my first car, I remember I was complaining. I said, we were, we were missionaries to Mexico, and I was complaining to God. I said, God, I hear all these testimonies of you giving these pastors and the mission. You give them cars, and you give them houses. How come you've never given me a car? You know what God says? How come you've never given a car? You can never receive what you don't have the faith to give. And the first time that God said, I want you to give your, your little vehicle to these pastors in, in Mexico, in Tuxpan, Jalisco, Mexico. I was like, no, that's not from God. God, right? Just the lying devil, right? You know what I did? I obeyed God because I understood that as a kingdom citizen, I don't own anything. A few weeks ago, I shared my, my, my story my testimony in, in, in Spanish, mi tristemonio, when I gave my first iPad, it was the very first iPad, and I was a missionary, and I saved up, and God blessed me to get my iPad, and we were at this conference in Ciudad Victoria, Tamaulipas, and there was a pastor from Uruguay, and he was sharing about the, about the glory of God and what God was doing in their lives, and once again, God says, I want you to give him your iPad. I said, no, not the iPad. I'll give you my wife. I'll give you, like... <laughs> hopefully she's not here (laughs) my shoes but not my iPad and I remember sitting there and I look at I look at Pastor Sandra literally I only had 500 pesos in my wallet that's all we had and from there we had to go preach in, in Torreon, Coahuila and I knew I didn't have enough money even to get there but God says I want you to give that pastor your iPad and I was like so I look at Pastor Sanders that God wants me to give my iPad and I'm crying, right? Literally, I'm, I'm having, the, it's the Holy Spirit, not because I was going to get the iPad, right? And she's like, I know. So I pulled the cord out of my backpack. I got this and I went and I put it on the altar and I gave it to that pastor. Because I understood that I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. And I could never give God anything. Why? Because we can never give him anything. Because it's him who gives us first. Right? And that's why King David, once again, he writes this, First Chronicles 29, 14. This guy understood kingdom because he was like the king, right? He said, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave to us. See, the, the, the principle is this. When in, in feudalism, in, in kingdom government, the king owns everything. He owns all the land. And the king would section it off. And he would, he would be like, okay, this is the, the Gary family, the Rodriguez family, right? You know, and, and, and he would, the Cisneros, and he would, he would divide the land. But all those people understood that they didn't own the land. They just had the opportunity to work the land. 
That's how it, that's how it operated. And so they, that's how the kingdom, they, they knew that. And they had the responsibility to work the land. And then the king would collect a tax. And the tax from everything they produced, it, it, was what they, it was what they had to give to the government in order for the opportunity to work that land. And the king was so good, he says, I don't need everything that you produce, even though you don't own the land, even though I give you the seed to work the land. All I need is 10%. Just give me 10% and you can keep all. If I gave you that deal, all of you would take it. I'm going to give you 100 acres. You can produce. Just give me 10% of whatever you produce. Anybody in here would not take that deal? But yet when God does it in form of a paycheck, you're like, 10%. Like, that's a lot of money. Like, that's like more than nine, God. Right? Walmart only takes 8%. And... But that's how it operates. But you have to understand that it was for the benefit of the kingdom see when the 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 glory of the king was in the well-being of the people when other kings would visit a kingdom they wouldn't look at the castle the king lived in to see whether or not he was a successful king they wouldn't look at how many how many picos he had on his crown picos is the greek word for They wouldn't look at that. You know what? They would, they would judge a king based on how well the citizens of his kingdom lived. Because the glory of his king, the king, is in the welfare and the well-being of his people. Do you realize that God wants you blessed? God wants you blessed. God wants you to live prosperous. I mean, just think about it. The Bible says you being evil desires to give good things to your children and your heavenly father being good. How much more? God wants you. You know, imagine for a moment, how does it feel when you can't give your kids what you wish you could give them? That feels kind of... I remember eighth grade. I was the only one on my basketball team with no name brand shoes. Everybody had Nikes and I had Hikes. My shoe, my, my, my tennis shoes were so off-brand that my, fr my teammates, my friends didn't even recognize them. They're like, what kind of shoes are those? I'm like, oh, I don't know. My dad bought them from a trip. They don't sell them around here. Like maybe Italy or somewhere, right? I'll make, like they were, <laughs> they were so off-brand. They didn't even know what they were. Yeah, that was me. And, and, and I know that it pained my father that in that season of my life, he couldn't give me what he wanted to give me. I imagine on, and on some level, you know, he felt maybe embarrassed. Maybe he felt disappointed that all of the other kids had the brand new latest Nikes of the same color. They were all purple and white. And I was the only kid with white and red high tops. That was me. And even my dad has asked me, oh, I'm sorry. Like, man, I wish I would have done more. I wish I could have done more. I know it pains him. And I imagine for a moment, if it pained my father to not be able to give me. And I tell my dad, dad, I don't care. Like, it built character in me. Or either made me a good liar, or, you know, built character or something. It did something good. Like, whatever it was, right? 
I'm, I'm not mad at you. But I know it hurt him on some level. And I can imagine for a moment. And I don't know who this is for. Know that God loves you so much. And he wants to give you so much more. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about giving you more hope, more peace, more joy, more love, more peace of mind. This is what God wants to do. But you have to know that God is a good investor and God will not invest in something that's not producing. See, if you're not stewarding the resources he gives you wisely and diligently, bringing multiplication, then why would you expect for God to invest more resources in you? Here's a question of self-awareness. Would you invest in you? Think about that for a moment. <laughs> would you loan yourself money? Something like, I don't pay back. <laughs> I'm going to loan myself any money. Not even with the high interest rate. But that's what Jesus expects. And, and I learned this in, in my walk. And I learned this even in the area of finances. Because I was that guy that would let the bank account go to like negative 150 or 200, right? Paying all these overdraft fees. And I'd be like, God, why don't you bless me? And I learned something. That if I couldn't administer 300 or 400 a week, there was no way I was going to administer 1,000 a week. See, my problem wasn't that I needed more money. My problem was I needed more discipline. And let me tell you, if you can't make it at 500, you're not going to make it at $1,000 a week. I've been there. You need more discipline. And when I learned this kingdom principle, because look at, what, look at how Jesus responds when there's no multiplication. Matthew 21, 18 through 22. Now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Jesus walked up on a tree that had the appearance of fruitfulness, but it had no fruit. And what did he do? He cursed it. What, what was he? He was saying that in my kingdom, you're not here just to, to take up space, right? You're not here. If you're not producing, I'm going to move you out of the way and put something that's going to produce, something that's going to be of benefit or utility. And maybe, this, but, but, but Jesus, I, I, look at my leaves. I, I, I offer shade and there's a lot of Christians throwing shade, but it's not the good kind. God doesn't need you to throw shade. God needs you to be fruitful. And when you're fruitful with what he gives you, then the Bible says that he will give you more. Look at Matthew 25, 19, or 29. It says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. How many want an abundance? I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about love and peace and joy. When you steward what God gives you faithfully and diligently, the Bible says that he will give you more. What are you doing with what God has given you? Some of you are praying for more children. God's like, you can barely take care of the ones you have. Right? <laughs> you can barely take care of yourself. You want me to... What, what is it? that you need to do? What area do you need to grow so that God can restore and God can begin to bless you with more because God 
wants to bless you with more. Do you receive that today? Amen. Amen. Will you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.